Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. All right. Good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. If you want to strengthen and anchor your family with a value system that extends through generations, this conversation today is exactly where you want to be. We're talking with Richard Wilson, the CEO of the Family Office Club, about the importance of family values and not just having them in your mind, but articulating them, writing them down, putting them in a location where your family can see and refresh on them on a regular basis and really use them as a compass to point you in the right direction to make sure that your decisions are lining up with what's most congruent to you. I'm really excited for this show today. Welcome to the show, Bruce and Richard. Thank you for having me here. Hey, thanks for, thanks for coming on again, Richard. We enjoyed it the first time and we thought it was very, very valuable. So now, now we're, we can get more specific on what we're sharing as far as family values when we talk, start talking to families about you know, leaving their legacy and the importance of uh, not only the legal part of the trust, but other things that they want to share and keep going in their families. And we really appreciate you being on today. Sure. Thank you. So let me give a little bit of context, first of all, to who Richard is and why we're bringing him back on the show for a second time. And then just the lay of the land for this particular conversation today and where this fits in creating time and money freedom. So First of all, if you really think about your impact on the world, you think about your family, you think about what you're creating in your business, this all comes down to how can you have the greatest impact? How can you make the most difference in your family? How can you have as great of an impact, not only during your lifetime, but in generations to come after you? And that might sound like a lofty thought, but if you really stop and think about why are you doing any of the things that you do today? It's bigger than just you. It's bigger than just what can I accomplish, but how can I improve the world around me? How can I give something to my children and generations after me that's going to elevate them and allow them to be even more successful? So the reason we're having Richard Wilson back on the show today, he is the CEO of the Family Office Club, and we have had him on the show before to talk about how he works with ultra-wealthy families and helping them and their advisors really be aligned in terms of helping them most effectively create and maintain wealth through their family and through the generations. And Richard, you had said something really specific in the last show that we talked about, that it's really important for a family to have a defined set of mission and vision and values and this almost this guiding purpose statement in their life. And coming from the background that you do, it's just fascinating to hear you say that. And I really want to dig into the work that you do in your personal life and then also with the families that you work with around this idea of your mission and vision and values and even why that's important. So you can read about Richard and his bio on the Um, show notes for the podcast, but I do want to mention as well, he's a husband and father of three. He lives in, um, I don't don't know how you pronounce it. Key Biscayne. There we go. I was going to say, I I was going to say that. I didn't want to mispronounce. Key Biscayne near Miami, Florida. He's a third generation Eagle Scout. He's founded the Family Office Club. This is the number one association of over 2,000 registered ultra wealthy families and their family offices. He is also an author of several books, one being Single Family Offices, 
and I will let him tell you about the rest, but he also has a podcast. He runs multiple events per year. He's done some incredible work pivoting in this time where we can't meet live because of um, everything being shut down in our world today. He has a YouTube channel and he is tremendously doing excellent work. So. Thank you. <laughs> That's uh, overly nice of you to say. I mean, I think that uh, the base foundation for this conversation, so people don't tune out thinking it's not for them, is I think people are completely missing what leads families to become ultra wealthy and stay ultra wealthy. And they think this values thing is for people with too much time on their hand or that are half retired or now they don't have to worry about real problems. So they focus on values and their foundation and impact investing only, and they don't need to care about making money anymore. And I think that's like the opposite of the truth. So I just want to make sure that if anyone's trying to decide whether they should listen to this interview or not, that I think it's going to be 100% relevant to like the hard charging entrepreneur or the real estate developer listening or the CEO or high W2 earning professional who's trying to you know get to the 10 million in net worth or something at some point in their life. I think it's, it's relevant to all the above and not just for someone who's worth 100 million and now is at that phase of their life where they have only high quality problems to deal with, you know, from other people's perspective, at least. And Richard, I really appreciate you sharing that. I think this is extremely relevant. You just said the conversation about values is a cause of the effect that gets created. The effect is the wealth. You're saying it's not the wealth that allows us to have this conversation about values. It's the other way around. And I love that you said we need to really focus on what we can do to make sure that we build the wealth in the first place and maintain it. And that was fascinating just because we can't, we can't get a result without doing what it takes to get that result. And you're saying the conversation about values is what we need to do to create that wealth. Right, right. I think last time I was on, it's been several months, so um, I don't repeat too much, but essentially this came up because I was at uh, Dan Sullivan's house and he recited the, the Boy Scout oath and I could finish it before he said it because as a kid, he had to say all the values and Boy Scouts and you had to rattle them off at every meeting. And I realized how deep in my psyche that must be to be able to say it after 20 some years without, without hesitation. And he talked about how the Boy Scouts is structured that way with different points of progress and merit badges, et cetera, instilling values and young people, et cetera. And it made me realize how important that was and how much it probably had affected me throughout my life if it was that top of mind still. And so through that, it made me think and go back to, if you talked about how a company should have values, everyone hears about that in their undergrad business school or in Inc. Magazine, or, you know, it's kind of lame and boring to even talk about how a company should have values on a podcast because everybody knows that. But why is that? Because people think, oh, you should hire, fire, make decisions, invest money, decide where to go next, all based on your cultural values as a company. And everyone knows that's so obviously true that it's lame to even say out loud. But even though that's true, most family offices don't have values, mm. don't act on stated values. And I've never met a family, now that I've said this at 20 live events, I've met two families, but I've never met a family that had values for their family on their wall above their kitchen table or in their house and said, these are our seven values. These are our 10 values. Here's what our family stands for. And had that ingrained into the kids' brains or into how the family makes decisions about where to live or what school to go to or who to associate with or how to spend our weekends, et cetera. And if you think about it, values in a company help propel revenue and propel growth 
protect the family from each other and others and help manage downside risk and like an immune system to get things away from the company that would be damaging. And if we know that values help protect from the downside and help with growth, why wouldn't every family want to have values when it costs absolutely nothing? You know, how many people go on a Disney cruise for $5,000 every year before the pandemic came and now no one wants to go on a cruise, but how many people spent money, even go to the movies and spend 110 bucks on popcorn, movie tickets at a nice movie theater, dinner out, et cetera. It costs nothing to create your family values. And what's the value of that versus going to see a movie? It takes the same amount of time to get these created. So in my mind, you know, there's no reason not to have these. There's no excuse not to have them. Every family should have their values written out and posted, especially if you have kids, I think. That's great. It's great that you have these values, or I guess you would say some of them are mission statements or visions, you know, however you want to articulate it. But it's probably more important that you actually continue to be mindful of the values and use those in the decision-making process. Because if you don't, then they simply become this uh, thing on the wall that you, you said, okay, this is finished. I did it. It's finished. But really, it's about right. the practice of these values. So how do you help your families practice these values? Uh, there's a couple of ways. One, one way that's easiest is when something happens and either the kids are disappointed or they're shocked because they're seeing somebody get very upset at the airport because like our flight got canceled. So we couldn't make it to a destination on time. We had to stay overnight like in Nashville or something on our way to uh, a destination in Alabama. And, you know, the lady in front of us in line was just yelling at the airplane customer service person. And I said, well, one of our family values is kind. And like, it might be upsetting for a minute or two and you find out you're not going to make it somewhere, but it, it's not going to change anything yelling at this random person who didn't make the technical problem help on the airplane. So kind is, you know, one of the family values we have. And it's just, it's not helping you. It's not helping them, you know, and you're just wasting energy essentially. So I remember talking to my daughter Bella in the airport about that at that time. So that's the, the easier time to provide the examples as to kids. I think the, probably the harder time is when you're talking to a spouse and you're making decisions quickly and using it spouse to spouse is a little bit harder time, usually not in teaching mode as much when you're talking to a spouse, obviously. Um, but having it posted on the wall above the kitchen table has been helpful and reading them off and talking about one of them out of all of them, not trying to talk about all of them at once. And then also where I brush my teeth and in the shower as well, I've laminated versions of it, but also of things that we know we need to do as a family or as a business. And I read those over every day. So it's top of mind, like a compass to start my day. And then I see the world through that filter of what I'm trying to get done to see if it, it matches up. Those, those are the, a couple examples of how we're, we're trying to actually implement and use them and not just have them in a Word document saved on your computer and then you forget it exists for three years and then pull it up again, right? That's fabulous. And I really think that like anything that's in our mind, it's meant to be lived. And I think sometimes we have to bring it from the unconscious or subconscious into very much a conscious part of our thinking. And I think it would be easy for any family to say, well, yeah, yeah, we have values. I mean, every family has a culture, every family has a way of doing things. But what I'm noticing is that if you don't articulate them clearly, then maybe you have five kids and all of them would define and speak about the culture differently. Maybe if you said, hey, what values did mom and dad have? Well, maybe one of them is, yeah, you know, probably hard work. They they were hard workers. That's their their 
understanding or their vernacular that they're using to describe someone else's experience, but they're not necessarily cohesive. And they're not saying we spoke about hard work and a work ethic is one of our values. And that's why we do things. So they're kind of guessing. Right. And I think that as you're talking about, not only are you bringing it into conscious awareness one time to write it down, you're also saying you have to keep it in front of you because anything that's not in front of you all the time, I was just talking with my eight-year-old daughter this morning about her goals in her work at school. And I was saying, keep it like a ball in front of you that you have to keep looking at it and working towards that those goals. Otherwise, it's really easy to get distracted by anything that else that looks interesting or grabs your attention in the moment. Well, maybe we can do this thing instead. And if if instead of staying focused on the goals, we don't keep it in conscious awareness on a regular basis daily, like you're talking about, it's really easy to be distracted. So let's come back to articulating them in the first place. Why do you think most families don't sit down and write down their values? Um, you know, what's strange is that I heard people talk about values for years and years, and then it wasn't until maybe 10 years after running the family office club that I started to pay a little bit more attention to the topic and realize that it's not just some soft, subjective thing that gets brought up when people have nothing else better to talk about. It's that without the values, a wealthy family will stop talking to each other and be better and re maybe resent each other. Uh, they won't be aligned in their actions. They might destroy the wealth and destroy the relationships in the family. And without the values, there is no protection of the wealth or growth of the wealth. And so it's not just a nice to have, it's more important than the wealth because it's what guards the wealth and grows the wealth. Um, so I think other people as well maybe don't realize that on a deep level. And I think a lot of people just have never heard somebody say, your family should have values established, posted on your wall, and you should talk about those. You know, maybe you only have a sit down dinner two to four days a week. You know, I think a lot of American families don't have a lot of formal sit down dinners without Netflix going or out by the pool or, or whatever. Um, but even if it's only just two to three times a week, um, you know, going through that can make a massive difference. And I, I honestly had never heard anyone, I've read a ton of self-improvement books and have a lot of mentors, um, probably like 20 different mentors um, that I could rattle off, like Dan Sullivan that we were talking about before the show. And um, no one had ever told me that I should have values for my family, even though sometimes it came up as having them for a family office. I was telling family offices they should have these for their family. I still didn't have that for myself, even mm. after doing that for seven years and telling people. So I don't know. I'm not sure why more people don't recommend it. Uh, maybe I heard it somewhere and subconsciously now I've kind of uh, stolen it like it's my own fresh idea. But uh, you know, we're talking about it often and we get a good reception from it because people say, oh yeah, it doesn't cost anything and I'm sure it would be helpful. You know, it's really interesting that I think sometimes the conversation can be, can feel ambiguous. I mean, you are an individual person. And so if you started a conversation about values with a spouse, then, and that's just in a small unit. First, you have to understand what are my own values. And then I think you have to talk with them about them with a spouse and say, okay, well now what's our shared values with our our unit and what's our family values what's our business values which i think as a person everything else that we have all of our circles that's a outflow of who we are and i think our personal values influence that deeply but i mean i think that a lot of times people don't have a model to follow or they don't know well what should some of my values even be i mean 
yeah, everything's good. You mentioned kindness. That's that's a great one. Maybe maybe kindness should be mine. Maybe leadership should be mine. Maybe um, you know a certain kind of communication should be mine. My my values that I have articulated. My husband and I really worked through, and I feel like it was a challenging conversation just to really take all of the big ideas in the world and boil them down to what is the most important guiding values that determine the course of our life and actions. And for us, we wanted them to apply to every area of our life. So if it was a value in business, we wanted it to apply to how we treat our family. If it was a value in our family, we want it to apply to the way that we exercise and work out. We wanted them to apply broadly across all areas of our family. But what are some ways that you have helped people in family offices or in individual families be able to come to that discussion and work through it to find out what their value system is? Uh, Most of it comes down to figuring out what has led to their success to date. Like what is your wealth creation story? And they'll talk about how creative they were in structuring their oil and gas deals, or they'll say how much work it creates and everyone thinks they just got lucky. And now they're worth $40 million when from their perspective, it was 28 years of super hard work, long nights, missing some time with the kids, perhaps you know, uh, feeling guilty sometimes, but, you know, to get the company to the next level, they put in that time. So hard work ethic was one of their values, et cetera. So a lot of the core values come out of the um, wealth creation story. And the, the other thing that's been super helpful for me is I've done a, um, a workshop with my wife, like a couple's workshop that I went to um, for husbands and wives. And we're going to it again later this year. But what's also fascinating is that a lot of spouses never meet to say, okay, well, what are your goals as an individual in your life, short-term, medium, long-term? What are my goals, short-term, medium-term, long-term? What are our goals as a couple, uh, as a married couple um, or partners? What are our goals as a family unit? And then how do you integrate all of those different things along with the fact if you run a business or have a family office, that needs to be integrated as well. And it makes you realize that if you're not fighting against each other, there's less friction, Mm -hmm. it's going to be better. And if you can find some unified approach, you know, um, I'm more fast acting and fast moving. Uh, My wife is more thoughtful and um, sometimes more strategic and less fast moving. So that's an example of how as individuals were different, but we could still find common ground on the family values and family goals and spouse goals, et cetera. So I think it is massively helpful to do that. And again, I think most people don't do that. And they're off fighting hard on their goals. And the spouse is fighting hard on their goals. And they have no goals as a family, except for these goals to get kids to college or to retire one day, etc. They're kind of unsaid or said goals or aspirations, but not kind of a written down goals. So for us, that was super helpful too. So it was pretty easy to come up with our list of values. And then we tweaked them a couple times over a month or two. But we had done two days, uh, two eight-hour days of work talking through all of those those issues and um, you know opportunities. So I think that gave us a big advantage when we sat down to do the goals. So then um, you take your family values and there's business values. There's overlap, obviously, and I, I right. think Dan Sullivan would say, you know, you want to remain laser focused on what you know because that gives you confidence, because he's a big person about confidence. And so then how do, you, how do you take these values and instill them in people to, on the business end of it, 
example, you know, I, I believe I believe this is true, and you can you can uh, agree or disagree or or share that whenever a, a a person has built wealth, they built it on being laser focused and knowing what they know. So if they, if they know multifamily, they they should stick with multifamily. If they know oil and gas, they should stick with oil and gas. If they know manufacturing, they should stick with manufacturing. So is, is it possible that they could have the family value list and then also the business value list, or is it just one list? Uh, what do you think about that? You know, for a decade, we had our company value list, which has been um, ruthless integrity, uh, pantheon thinking, which is like really long-term thinking, uh, speed of implementation, so you implement things, learn, and then implement again, uh, meeting challenges with optimism, hyper-accountability, and niche choke point domination. And some examples of how we drive these forward is that we had someone who didn't really have high integrity in terms of uh, how they were operating our company and we had to let them go. We had someone that uh, couldn't work from home during COVID. They would just not work a half day and kind of act like they did. Mm. And we addressed it once and when it happened again, we let them go and pointed out the hyper accountability to the team and why we let them go. And on Thursday last week, um, I spent about half a million dollars acquiring commercialrealestate.com. And that's a niche choke point that if we can build that into a top three community in the space, that that's an example of us acting on the core values as a company. And when I reflected on our family values, you know, I looked over the Boy Scout values, uh, trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. I looked at that. I looked at our company values. And then I proposed to my wife a list of about 12. We reduced it down to 11 and she helped me with uh, three or four of them, kind of changing them a bit. And we came up with um, healthy to figure if you're not healthy, then nothing matters. Because if you're dead, then no one cares if you were, you know, kind as much because you weren't kind for as long, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, you know, healthy is one. Bold, brave, clean, cheerful, kind. Uh, we put constant improvement or Kaizen, uh, persistence or grit. Uh, responsible, respectful, and high integrity um, as our family values. So you can see that some of those, you know, cheerful, it's kind of like meeting challenges with optimism. Um, the Kaizen, the constant improvement is kind of like speed of implementation, the high integrity we have listed here on both ones. So it's a little bit longer for our families, um, but some of them interconnect. I think the most important thing that I've found, I'm not like the global expert on this issue. I've just done it for my family and recommended family offices do this and help them with theirs a bit. But probably the most important thing is that things don't conflict mm -hmm. and you're not having some goal, which you can't possibly have that value in the family. And then the value in the company just, just black and white conflicts with it, uh, would be kind of strange to have. I don't, I haven't seen a family do that because I don't think it naturally happens too much, but I guess you'd, you'd want to watch out for making sure you don't do something that conflicts with something else you're trying to do. I would think, I would think, and I guess where I was going with this is that a lot more companies have developed mission statements or value statements. And do you then start with that and trickle it down to the family or have you not seen that uh, where the, the companies have the value statements or mission statements and use that as a baseline for the families? I think it can help if uh, the company has those values that it could inform what you want your family values to be for sure. Maybe two or three are easily crossed over to the family. You know, um, even being accountable as a family member, you know, being held on this, did you do your chores? Did you do your homework? Did you do what you said you were going to do, et cetera? It's not like a bad value for the family to have. 
Um, but until I had said this at about 20 different conferences and live events, I'd never met a single family that actually set up their family values. So for whatever reason, people like to do this for their companies, but not their families. And I, I haven't really seen it uh, trickle down much. Um, but, you know, hopefully it's something that through podcasts like this, we can help kind of spread the word of. It's not a service we sell. There's no software for $20,000 I'm trying to sell for. It's just an idea that we found we found helpful at the family office club and it's something that we act on as a team and a family. So Richard, let's, let's do this. Let's do this kind of live here. So you just said you purchased the URL for commercial real estate.com. I believe what it was. Yep. So uh-huh. How did you use your family values and your business values to, to decide whether you should spend that money purchasing that? Yeah. So the most interesting thing is um, our number two, value in the company is Pantheon thinking. And, uh, on October 24th, 2008 is my first email negotiating the purchase of commercialrealestate.com. So it took us 12 years to buy it. And when we closed on it Thursday, we got the website live last night. And someone said, well, that was fast. I was like, well, I didn't feel too fast here. It's 12 years, you know? Uh, so we took a long time chasing it. And, you know, we also, then once we had it, we use speed of implementation to get that in place and uh, actually get the website launched within, you know, two business days, but also on the meeting challenges with optimism at one point in the negotiation, just um, three weeks ago, we thought we had a deal or close to a deal and the domain name broker wrote me back and literally said, no, I'm sorry. Um, they don't like that price. I think this is the end of our communications. There's no more reason to talk to each other. And I almost wrote him back kind of like in a mad state of mind. And I was like, ah, it's not going to help. You know, I'll just deal with this tomorrow or tonight, whatever. And I talked to my brother about it. He's a securities attorney. He helps me negotiate all of my you know, transactions and deals. And um, then I realized I was like, well, I wrote him back and said, well, you know, I've been chasing this for 12 years, so I don't accept that our communications are over. Why don't we use this creative structure and I'll buy 90% of the domain name. The domain name holder can hold on to 10% and I'll give them, um, besides that equity portion for a future sale, I'll give them a 2% gross revenue royalty off of all revenues that flow through the domain name. And that got them back to the table and then we were able to uh, get the deal done under that term. And um, I'm sure if I had prepared more, I could think of more ways that the value is applied. But like those three ways off the top of my mind is just the Pantheon thinking, the speed of implementation to launch, the meeting the challenge with optimism rather than being like, what, you know, like you just wasted all my time. What do you mean communications are over? Like, you know, it's not going to help anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, that's, that's three examples of it. And that's, it's also, as I mentioned earlier, a niche choke point. And mm-hmm. Mastering the Rockefeller Habits is a book by Vern Harnish, who's one of the founders of EO. And Evan Pagan was one of my big mentors. And he helped me get my business to seven figures our first, you know, three years in business. And I remember talking to Evan and I said, you know, what one book would you recommend to get seven figures in revenue quickly? And he said, Mastering the Rockefeller Habits, where he talks about choke points. And a choke point is really something that gives you a strong position in a market. And once you obtain it, it's very hard for others to displace you. And we have no intent on selling commercialrealestate.com. We just, you know, I've been running Family Office Club 13 years. And I just want to spend the next 13 years continuing to grow Family Office Club, but also make commercialrealestate.com a top three community in the CRE space and do whatever hard work is needed to make that happen. And so that makes it 
a choke point because there's only one of the clean.com versions of that. So that's really great. I love that you shared just your thought process and working through that. And I love the creative thinking and negotiating, trying to figure out how can we get a win-win and accomplish our objectives, but make it very favorable for someone else as well. I think, I think off the cuff, you did a great job um, showing how that aligned with your value system. Let's jump back over to the family side for a minute. And what's really interesting about this conversation, I'm seeing that there's this family value thread and there's this business value thread, which in a lot of ways is the same part of the same person's long-term legacy. I mean, if you think about the business that you are building, your goal through that business is to probably impact as many people's lives for the positive good as possible, provide a tremendous amount of value, use your uniqueness, your unique ability to do the most good in the world. And your kids can be a part of that. Your family is a part of that. I don't see them as isolated, um, segregated pieces of your life. I really see it as you as a whole person are working moving forward in both of these areas. But how do you involve, let's say in the family side, how do you involve children in the conversation of defining the values? And maybe do do you feel that different ages are relevant in the conversation? Yeah, I mean, I think that earlier you start probably the better, but anything is better than not having the values at all. Um, but we've got a three-year-old five-year-old and eight-year-old and uh, we talk about it with all of them I don't know how much the three-year-old is getting but I think they get a lot more than we know they sometimes just can't verbalize it back you know they say that's when you learn the fastest so um, we treat them all equally in talking about the values and having them listed out and I think that um, nowadays with the way social media is or if you let your kids go on TikTok or watch the news or political debates or anything, it's, it's even more important than it was just a few years ago because of just the, the wide variety of things that they'll see by being on YouTube or TikTok or news that mm-hmm. was less extreme of a variable, I think, when it was, you know, your Disney afternoon watching Tailspin when you were growing up as kids, you know, uh, you're exposed to less variety of types of opinions out there. So mm-hmm. um, it seems more important than ever to to have that for the younger kids to kind of give them a frame of reference. I agree. And I think that it helps inform the conversation as well. If they're noticing something that makes them uncomfortable or they don't like, or that didn't seem right, it gives them a way to articulate why did it not feel right? Why do I not choose that? Um, for instance, my values are written differently than you're talking about it. It, You're inspiring me to maybe even change this a little bit, but we kind of outlined the different areas of our life and then said what we think in that category. So for instance, health is one piece of that, that we believe that peak performance and optimal effectiveness are our responsibility. And that's kind of the, the piece that leads us into saying, if I'm as healthy as possible, then I can do the most good and have the greatest impact and enjoy my life to the, to the fullest. But what's interesting is that we have a value system of, of in the individual person. And um, we believe that the family's true wealth resides in each individual family member. And that basically for the family to flourish, each individual person has to flourish. And so when we look at that, we want to respect the individual individuality of each person and what makes them different and unique, but then making sure that it's not just about all doing the same thing or all agreeing with mom and dad, but it's about having their autonomy come through. And I think 
that sometimes even being a part of the conversation where maybe they have a different opinion or a different perspective can help them take ownership in terms of stepping into fully who they are, not just as part of your family, but as flourishing as their own individual. I was just curious what your thoughts were on that. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think that I'm trying to find some way to relate to them and where they're at. You know, we had um, some friends that had one of those uh, electric Tesla, like kid-sized cars. And my kids, when we visited there, would love to drive the car around. And they said, oh, we want to buy one. Can we have one? And it's pretty expensive, like a couple hundred dollars. Um, And I was always afraid they're just going to run each other over. Uh, So I said, well, you guys can buy it for yourself but you need to have like a lemonade stands or find some way of making money. If you want this expensive thing, I'm not just going to buy you any random thing you see. And so we started doing lemonade stands before COVID and would usually bring in around 50, $55 per lemonade stand. And we had friends join one or two times and they made signs and posted something on social media in our local neighborhood. And we, you know, they learned a bit because they thought we we're going to do it right in front of our house, but our house gets very low foot traffic. So instead we found the we went to the local Starbucks and set up, you know, uh, near the Starbucks and near where our office space was. So it would have more people walking by. And one of them, the three-year-old would uh, like ding the bell and the five-year-old would pour the lemonade and the the eight-year-old would, you know, get the money and put it in the plastic cash register. And they would get three and $5 tips all the time from people. And they were able to buy their own electric car recently from doing that. And I think that was uh, something we're trying to recreate somehow because we can't do lemonade stands right now. Mm-hmm. So we're looking for another idea or two on, you know, what's that next thing they want to buy or do they want to, you know, save up money to help someone affected by COVID or, you know, they're big about kids that don't have a mom and dad and they always like talk about that type of thing. So we're trying to figure out, you know, uh, some other project like that now that during COVID we can't have lemonade stands, obviously. I love that you're thinking about that. I think that helps them relate their value system of, growing their own skills and abilities and serving the world. That idea of entrepreneurship for young kids, I think is just so powerful and so profound. And my daughter, um, who's eight as well, should should maybe talk with your kids. She, she has this great yeah. idea. She started a cookie club in the neighborhood. And I'm actually really surprised how well she's doing so far. We we're looking at really great profit margin and and she's super excited. She was trying to figure out a way to merge her baking interest with her desire to make friends and help people and make them have joy. And so she came up with this business title. And so her, her sales pitch involved, it's going to bring you joy. So anyway. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I'd love to take a look at that. And uh, we were trying to figure out how to have a virtual lemonade stand. And uh, we haven't got that to the point where it makes sense yet. But uh, yeah, that'd be cool to, to see what you guys are doing there. That's awesome. So why let's talk about posting the values on your wall. Um, you mentioned that multiple times, how important and meaningful that is, whether that's in the business space or whether that's in your family. Where, why is that so important and meaningful? And and how can somebody go about doing that and using that to guide their conversations? Um, after I got my MBA, I studied through the Harvard ALM division, psychology and psychology of influence. And I found out the best way to be more influential is to first influence yourself. So you can just be perpetually more of an authority figure, provide more thought leadership or more genuine value, et cetera, et cetera. So you have more credibility but you have to take a lot of actions if you want to be more influential. So if you can't influence yourself, then you're never going to be very persuasive to mass amounts of people. And so when researching, researching kind of how to do that, 
Um, many people said like, well, you're much more likely to exercise if you have physical cues and you sleep in your exercise clothes or you have a picture of your ideal weight or what your if you have someone that reinforces and they show up at your house automatically and you go running because there's social pressure of them showing up at your front door to meet you to go running that next morning. It's like anything that automatically influences you in a good way is a good thing. And Brian Tracy was one of my mentors early on. I was able to meet a few times and he always said every habit either makes you stronger or makes you weaker or makes you more sales or it makes you less sales, et cetera, makes you healthier or not. And so when studying psychology, I saw that when you have a new habit being formed, the way that you do it is, you know, like water running over a desert floor that's flat and the first trickle of water finds its own way based mostly on gravity. Um, and then after a while, the more water that passes through, it starts carving into the desert floor a path. And that's how our brains typically work. We typically drive on autopilot the same way to the grocery store, you know, maybe run on the same path when you go running or go to the gym, et cetera, uh, start our days the same way. So a lot of it is based on habitual routine and it just gets deeper and deeper the more that you do things. And so when thinking about how to kind of brainwash myself, when I was taking these psychology courses, I found that when Brian Tracy would write a book on self-improvement, he would have like 12 chapters and then one chapter would summarize all 12 chapters. And so I got the audio version of about a dozen of his books and I got just the conclusion chapter and I put just the conclusion chapter, which is five to seven minutes long, all together into one MP3 file. So I had about the summaries of 10 different books in one MP3 file. I love it. And every day on my way to work, I would just listen to that for about, a hundred, like a, I think it was like 110 minutes. And I had about an hour and a half commute. So I'd listen to almost the whole thing every single morning on the way to work. Mm. And it kind of just, I could still to this day finish some of his sentences because I've heard it so many hundreds of times. And I realized it was kind of brainwashing myself to have this like deep in my brain, like what he was saying, all these insights and things that he had spent like thousands and thousands of hours collecting. And then um, he also suggested posting your goals where you see them every day. And the combination of those two things I found allow you to kind of brainwash yourself or like direct your brain. And um, I think that's, I think that's why I find it so important to mention because people are like, what? Like I'll be having a barbecue and they're like, you don't have your goals posted in your, in your shower to see every day. And they don't believe me. I'm like, well, come in the house. I'll show you. And then uh, I show it to them like, oh, you actually do. And uh, so I, it's something that whenever there's something that costs no money has worked really well for me. And I feel like almost no one is doing it. I feel like that's some of the best ideas to share. Well, I love that. And you're inspiring me to post the stuff in my shower just because I really want to make sure that I'm aligning on a regular basis. It's really interesting. I read on a regular basis um, this book, Wallace Waddles wrote, The Science of Becoming Great. And I was just reading about this chapter on hurry and habit. And he talks about we are what we think about and what we think of ourselves on a habitual, in a habitual way, not just what we think of ourselves once a day or once a week or once a month, but what our continual brain thought pattern is, what we tell ourselves on a regular basis. And what you're saying is interrupt that with all the good stuff and make sure that the good stuff is what's on repeat in your brain. Yeah. And I think uh, one of the earliest self-improvement gurus ever was Earl Nightingale, mm -hmm. who had a recording called The Strangest Secret. And Read he it. basically said, you are what you think about most of the time. And you know, the Buddha said, that 
everything in the world begins with a thought and all that we are, you know, came and originated first with an idea in the mind and then became something real. And um, so I, th I think there's many, I've done a lot of uh, self-improvement books and had a lot of mentors that have taught me a lot of the stuff that has enabled us to grow our company. And I think sometimes business people are somewhat skeptical or kind of see that stuff as kind of, I don't know, not like something to be proud of studying or that is cheesy and doesn't work. But it's a lot of people that have spent tens of thousands of hours studying what makes people successful. So for me, it, it has worked. So I like sharing those types of ideas. Yeah. I appreciate that you did. Can you tell us what are you working on now? Tell us what you're working on in your business with the Family Office Club and, um, and just enlighten us on what you're doing right now. Yeah, sure. So with Family Office Club, we've gone, you know, fully virtual for now. Um, so we have a weekly virtual discussion panel. We have uh, virtual conferences coming up. We have um, weekly webinars that we do. Um, we also, we're growing our membership in the Family Office Club. So about 2,000 investors registered, about 700 subscribers who pay like a Netflix type monthly fee to get access to our investor relations workshops and to our investor mandates. One thing we started since COVID is every business day, we do a Zoom interview for seven minutes with an investor and say, what are you investing in? You know, what's the scope of the deal flow and your mandate? And what's the number one piece of investment advice you can provide? And we've done about uh, 75 to 80 of those now that and we release one every business day in our portal. That was, that's been a big push recently. So we're continually to grow, continuing to grow the family office club. The second thing is our investor portal um, is called privateequity.com. It's only for investors. And we've got 211 investors registered there. With Family Office Club, you register as an investor and you get access to things and you get to be part of the Family Office Club community. But if you want hands-on help sourcing direct investment deal flow, you might, my 15-person team talks to 45,000 people a year and we have some of the direct investments sourced and structured for investors and our only fee is a performance fee a profit share if they make money on an investment that we help them go into then we take a, a small profit share on that and we've closed um about 16 million uh, about 16.5 million in deals so far this year across our total company and we're looking to do maybe 30 million in deals this year and we hope to grow that over time so that's an exciting area for us of growth. I think that we could grow that to a thousand investors over time and do a hundred million a year in, in direct deals. And then the third area is, you know, the commercial real estate.com asset. You know, we want to drive that forward and really increase our, our deal flow and um, the community on the CRE side. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that if anyone was interested in checking into some more of the work that you're doing or joining as an investor in the Family Office Club or participating with that, how would they connect with you and find you? Yeah, um, that part, we've, we've spent money to make it easy. So it's familyoffices.com, Family Office Club, you know, our investor portals, privateequity.com, and then, you know, the Siri platform, obviously, is commercialrealestate.com. But our whole business model is to give away more for free than any of our direct competitors are globally. And so the good news is, um, like I said, before we started recording here, I have mentors like Evan Pagan and, and Dan Sullivan and Joe Polish, where I learned so much from them that were helpful before spending anything that it made it a very easy decision to spend a lot of money with mm -hmm. them. And I've spent hundreds of thousands uh, with those people because of that same business model. So that's why we've adapted that model. So 
um, don't be shy in taking advantage of YouTube videos and content we're giving out because selfishly, the more you take advantage of that content and actually get value from it, then the more you're likely to be part of our community, which I'm sure is similar to your guys' business model. Anyone putting out a podcast kind of gets how that works. Absolutely. Right? And I think people are looking for that value that they can get from a YouTube video, from a podcast, and they're, they're trying to figure out, can I do I connect? Is this relevant to me? Do I relate to them? Are we speaking the same language? And so I think I, I just really appreciate you sharing that there's so many free resources for people to find out more about you. And I think they're going to be fascinated just after the number of people that you've mentioned that you've listened and followed and just the things that you're implementing in your own personal life and what you're working on. So I appreciate you sharing that. Sure. Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me here today. That's excellent. Well, if you are listening to this podcast, make sure that you take action on what Richard is sharing. It is very easy. He's saying you can do this with no money to make sure that you articulate your values, your goals, post them where you can see them on a regular basis, get mentors, make sure that you are leading yourself. And he said, brainwashing yourself to do the right thing. And I just, I love how important this conversation about values is that it's more important to have the values that allow you to build and grow and protect wealth as opposed to building the wealth first and then thinking the value system is going to follow. So those are just some of the high level things that he's shared today in this conversation. If you want to find out more about privatized banking and how that works as a store of capital for you to be able to have safety, liquidity, and growth on liquid capital, you can find us at themoneyadvantage.com. You can get on our calendar directly to talk with our advisors and find out if that is a fit for you and really figure out how to administrate and implement that in your own life. You can go to privatizedbankingsecrets.com to get more information and you can go to themoneyadvantage.com slash calendar to book with us directly. So thank you very much for joining us on the show today. Richard, thank you so much for just sharing your wisdom and just who you are as a person. We really appreciate it. Sure. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks, Bruce. Uh, Take care. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And as you are listening in closing, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated, and registered investment advisor, 
both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.